Hi, everyone. Welcome to a recording of the Teachers College podcast on play, Pop and Play. I'm Lalitha Vasudevan, Professor of Technology and Education at Teachers College. I'll be your host for this introductory episode, and I get to introduce you to your co-hosts, Haney Yoon and Nathan Holbert. Haney? Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Haney Yoon, and I'm an Associate Professor of Early Childhood in the Department of Curriculum and Teaching. Very excited to be here today. Nathan? Hey, Haney. Hey, Lolita. This is Nathan Holbert. I am super excited to be here with you guys today to talk about play. Uh, I'm an assistant professor in the uh, program of Communication, Media, and Learning Technologies Design. And I like to play games. And I like to talk about playing games and watching TV and doing fun stuff. So this is going to be great. I love it. I want to ask you both, what do you do to play? How do you guys play? What does play look like for you personally? You know, what's really interesting as I'm trying to answer this question is I knew it was coming and I'm still kind of like in my mind thinking about how I want to craft it. I think especially educators or community members or people who work with children all the time, I think we wanted to find play, right? We want it to be something that's recognizable so that we can say like, oh, that's play and that's not play. Um, and I think about that in my own life where I'm trying to unpack like which parts of what I do are play, which parts of it are work and which parts of it are just like chores or whatever it is. And do those lines sometimes blur, right? Like where sometimes my work can become play. Like I think about this, right? Like, and I think about during COVID, right? Like I've been trying to do like little podcasts they are not even like podcasts. I'm like trying to do them. Like I'm trying to make these videos and I realize that there's like an element of play, right? Because it's experimental. It's something that I'm not sure what the, I'm not sure what the product is going to look like because it could look terrible, <laughs> right? But that there's something about the process or what it does for me that really helps. And I wanted to start off with that because everybody, you all know that my main way of playing is to engage with pop culture and to watch a lot of television, right? And I would hate for people to walk around, walk out of this podcast thinking, oh, that Haney doesn't know anything except watching TV <laughs> and doing pop culture stuff, right? You know what? Um, that is very valuable. <laughs> Well, and I think, and I think you and Lolita, you and I have talked about this once where, you know, I grew up in an immigrant family where my parents were out work, like there were mo like hours of time where I was home alone. Right. And so part of like TV was partly my teacher, right. And not just something that I learned from, but something that I also got a lot of joy out of. Right. So I think that learning and joy don't necessarily have to be binaries or opposites, right. That they could be the same thing and that sometimes play and working and learning can also be sort of the same thing too. Yeah. You know, again, having Haney as a co-host is the best because she gave us a really thoughtful definition. She, she was, she was concise and she was precise and that lets people know that we're really serious scholars here. And, and I think that's important. Um, and you like to balance and, that out and I don't, with what you're going to yeah, say. Yeah, I don't want to do any of that. I don't want to give you definitions because <laughs> that seems hard. And like I said, I'm here for the play. Uh, no, no, but I, do, I agree with that. There is a ways in which we play in our, in our jobs and in our professions all the time. I mean, this, as we already said, is kind of an act of play for us, right? Um, trying out new ideas to see what, you know, how they work in, in some, some research context or imagining and brainstorming new projects are certainly, I think, part of how I play, even though it's also part of my job, which is, you know, which I'm super fortunate 
to, to feel like I'm playing lots of times when I'm engaged in my work. I also like to play, you know, outside of my job, though though it's increasingly difficult for me to see the difference between the two. And I don't know if that's an indictment of academia or if that's an indictment of my inability to, to compartmentalize my life. <laughs> but, you know, I play lots of video games and board games, and, and it's true that my research often is about game design, uh, and so those are related. My, my wife likes to tell people that, um, that I got a PhD in video games, and so, you know, perhaps that is also part of work. But I certainly see it as, as play for myself as well. Um, you know, I was also thinking about uh, I have I have two young kids, and sometimes I come home and I'm and I'm tired, or I'm looking at the news and I'm stressed out, or whatever it is. And they start my my daughter started karate kicking me last night, and you know, at first I'm like, ah, don't kick me, and then but then immediately it's like, this is really fun. She's karate kicking me. Let's let's have a karate fight. And so you know, wrestling with my kids is also I think a, a really important way in which I find um, joy and 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 playfulness uh, as well. For a lot of people who might listen to this, the conditions right now are feel really inideal to play, right? And then at the same time, sometimes the response is, the only thing I can do is play to kind of like make sense of this. And so, you know, Nathan, you and I both have kids who are, <laughs> who don't, who are not shy about expressing their needs um, and <laughs> being six months with them without other outlets, really, it really does kind of raise interesting questions about, you know, at a time of national health crisis, um, you know, growing kinds of revelations around racial injustice um, at a time of deep economic crisis, what role does play have and how do we keep play at the ready? as an available frame through which to imagine, perceive, and enact in our worlds. Is that even possible? I, I like to go there to a space of play, and so I'm always kind of looking for an opportunity to. And, and that can, you know, sometimes right now especially, that can be so, 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 so hard. There's just so many things to worry about and, and, and be concerned by, and also, to, you know, so many things that we need to act uh, to address. So, you know, it, it, sometimes it has to be very intentional. Sometimes it has to be like, you know, cooking a meal and instead of turning on the news, which is what I like to do lots of times, I, you know, turn on some ridiculous 80s music or something and, and you know, start laughing about the bad songs or, or um, you know, intentionally turning on a video game because I need to escape for a little bit and go to another place. Um, or, you know, you know, in the case of like the Kung Fu fight, you know, being able to sort of recognize that even though I'm tired and even though I'm stressed, this will be a useful thing for me to engage in. So, so, so I guess what I'm trying to say is some of it happens just because it happens, but sometimes it happens because we're very intentional about it. Yeah, I think just to go off of that, um, I think that relates a lot to what people have lately been saying about comedy, right? And how comedy is almost like a a genre or space where people have been trying to heal, right? Or trying to process and make sense of it. So while you're laughing and that act of laughing and the comic relief, you know, that phrase we always hear, the comic relief actually like helps people process. And I think during this time, like a lot of racial injustice, right? And some of that 
um, may seem inappropriate, but it could also be how people are making sense of their feelings, right, and their realities. But I also think the same thing about play is I think that there is some like healing effect that happens in play. And I think there's some parts of play that are really uncomfortable for adults, you know, whether it's teeters on the border of violence or um, going, you know, like maybe it's a, it's not a normalized gender norm, or maybe it's racial. Like, I think there's a lot of things that um, make adults very uncomfortable about the play of young people. And maybe um, that discomfort is not necessarily our reaction shouldn't be to just stop it immediately because I think sometimes we like to do that, right? Sanction like what play is going to be and what kinds of behaviors are appropriate. Um, but I think that instead, what if we looked at it as like, how are people healing through this, right? Like how are people making sense of things? I think about that with pop culture, right? Like how people are like horror movies are terrible, right? Or... I don't like this kind of comedy because it's like demeaning, right? Or whatever it is. Like, I think there's certain genres that also get put into this space, right? But then I think there's, it's a lot more complicated than that, right? Like, I think Jordan Peele talks about that, right? Like how horror is for him, like speaking about the social ills that are happening around us. Um, and that he uses that genre as a way to talk about that. So not everybody has to you know, write this prolific piece of poetry to talk about racism in a way that's palatable for us, but there's ways that might not be palatable. That's such a good point, Amy. I mean, when we talk about play, we, we sometimes talk about it as if it's always this kind of fun activity that is separate from the world. And and your point is 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 really important that play can very much be part of how we not just deal with the world or not just escape the world, but also how we act in the world. I think sometimes with social media or memes or, or you know, there's all these different ways in which people are, you know, TikToks and whatnot, uh, what, what, whatever the kids do, you know, now, there's always some way in which we are trying to deal with and trying to respond to and trying to kind of force a conversation um, and oftentimes the ways in which we do that are most effective whenever we do them in kind of a playful format or a playful structure. When we were having a planning meeting about this, we were talking about Viet Thanh Nguyen's concept of narrative plenitude. And he specifically is using it to refer to the ways in which we need more stories, not fewer, not narrower, um, particularly about minoritized uh, communities' experiences. And it was... For me, it, our conversation suggested that we actually need that same kind of plenitude about play, right? And and one of the things that came up when we were talking had to do with the narrowing that's happened, the, the sort of need or the impulse to define once again in the image of school, in the image of a kind of formal set of educational expectations. And so I wonder, what are your motivations for thinking about creating this kind of space to engage in thinking about play, to kind of create narrative plenitude of play, if you will. I think one thing in particular is this idea about the sort of correctness or incorrectness of, of play. I think that label, partly perhaps because we come at this from the, the field of education, um, but I think this label of kind of whether or not something is is worthwhile or correct or productive too often becomes the the way in which we look at everything in the world. 
when you define learning as needing to look a certain way, you often miss the fact that there's all this other really cool and interesting things being encountered and explored and, and learned um, because you're too focused on, you know, this thing that you came in with preconceptions as, as needing to see. And so, so I'm, you know, it's certainly a, a interested in kind of continuing to explore what, in what ways people, young people, adults, um, make sense of their world through play and how can we be open to the different ways in which that, that unfolds? Yeah. I mean, I would love for adults to start thinking about the ways they play, like the question that you asked us, Lolita, um, and just what that does for us. Um, cause I think sometimes as we grow up, we kind of forget what that feeling is or what it does for us in general. And I think that's why we don't value it when we see it in young people. Um, because it's not really a valued thing in our own lives, right? And so I think I've been kind of starting to think about, like, how do I get adults to think about their own play or engage in play? Or maybe it's been a while <laughs> since you played, and perhaps that might be impacting or influencing how you're seeing young people, right? And the cultural things that they do, because we kind of forget what that means. Maybe that's why we're we like to say things like, oh, kids these days, blah, 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 right? Because we don't understand it, right? And when we don't understand something, we like to regulate it. Are you suggesting I don't understand TikTok? <laughs> yes. Yes, I, yes, we are. Uh, it's, it's, yeah. it's true. None of us do here. It's true. true. 100%. Wait, so that's why we're going to wax poetic and be all experty about it. <laughs> So I wondered if you could just take a minute to think about, you know, either a moment from your research. Um, I'm going to stop myself from giving those examples myself right now, because I do love and appreciate both of your uh, research with young people. Um, but I wonder if you could give an example of a moment where you either witnessed or observed this kind of learning happening, either in sanctioned or unsanctioned play, something to kind of bring to life some of the things we've been talking about from your own observations in your research. Uh, so I'm going to talk about why I became obsessed with Star Wars, because I'm not like necessarily a Star Wars fan. I probably watch like two of them. And I know, I know, I know, I know. Okay. <laughs> Prior to COVID. <laughs> you're you're so, about to get some homework, Katie. <laughs> I know, I know. So I, um, so basically what happened was that I had all this, like, I do a lot of research in like K through two classrooms and usually look at, try to look at spaces of play or spaces of literacy. And most of the times the intersection of those two things. Um, and so I'm sitting in a kindergarten classroom for this year long project and just like taking notes, talking to kids about play. And this one kid who's very obsessed with Star Wars, actually the whole classroom kind of was. Um, but this particular child was very much an expert in it. And he would like talk to me for 30 minutes about like Star Wars stuff, would draw things, would create like little scenarios, would like make his, like he would talk about like how it's shooting through the paper and he would shoot through the paper somehow. Like it was just a very interesting um, act of play. And I found myself not really understanding like half of it. Okay, because I, you know, I'm like, I know, I know Princess Leia, I know Chewbacca, right? I know like the, the basics, right? I know Yoda, <laughs> but there's like a lot of things that I'm just assuming, right? Or that I think is like kind of general cultural knowledge about Star Wars that I think I know that I'm applying to this thing that he's doing that is completely wrong, 
right? So now I go back and look at that data and it's so different because now I'm like watching the episodes. I got like interview notes from kids about like what order I should watch the Star Wars episodes, like which <laughs> ones should be in the middle of things and which ones I should watch first and last. Um, and then I'll, send you my, talk- I'll send you my order after this. <laughs> okay, after yes, because I'm sure yeah. everybody has a different order. Um, <laughs> but then I've been taking notes and I kid you not, like after each episode that I finished, I was like, oh my God, that thing now makes sense. And now I'm like, that's what he was talking about. Or now that's different. And so now I go back and look at these pictures that he's drawn. I'm like, oh my God, I recognize this thing, right? This is, this is a TIE fighter and that's different from a TIE bomber. And that's different from this thing, right? And like, you just notice these nuances that happen in play when you actually engage in it, right? And so it's like something that you didn't think was that interesting that you suddenly like start to find I don't know, you start to find a lot of cultural affinity to that, right? And so I think that's like the, that's like, I don't know, I've just, I feel like there's been so many rabbit holes that I've gone down when I start to understand that play is so complicated and especially play with pop culture has like such a very complex background, right? That spans across a lot of time. And if you think about something like Star Wars, right? Like it spanned like 40 years, right? And so there's a lot of historical context that plays into what kids are doing in contemporary times. And then if you take like how Star Wars has evolved to like other things like Star Wars Rebels or this, you know, there's like different iterations of it that make it a different kind of play. I love that you took play seriously enough and that you respected children enough to try to understand the things that they were making intertextual connections with rather than imposing your own kinds of frames that might've suggested this is crazy or you don't know what you're talking about or you're being too fantastical. And people talk about, you know, uh, student-centered learning a lot. People talk about um, creating opportunities for the young people's funds of knowledge to surface. And where I see people stopping short is to actually be the learner in kind of partnership with the, the student, right? To, to really see the student as having something to offer you, that you take the time to learn what they give you. And I, I really think that that's so, for me, it's, it's a really wonderful example of honoring play as, a, as almost like a scaffold for your own apprenticeship. Oh, I love that. Nathan, do you have an example that stands out to you? Yeah, I mean, sure. Here's here's one. I made a game a number of years ago. Uh, this was actually part of my dissertation work, so it's been a, it's been quite a while, and it was one of the first games that I built, and uh, it was a racing game. And uh, my research was around kind of how kids make sense of the relationship between acceleration and velocity. I was very much kind of in this this sort of physical sciences space, and I built this game where it was kind of like. If you can th- imagine a racetrack, but you're seeing it, you know, from a bird's eye view, and you, there's a there's a the full racetrack you can see, you can see the car there. And in my game, it was kind of like a finger painting game. So you 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 could choose different colors. It was on an, a tablet, and you could use your finger to sort of paint out onto the track these different colors. And the different colors corresponded to different velocities that the car would travel at. 
And so the idea behind the game was that you would that players would kind of think about how the car should accelerate, you know, or decelerate around the different turns, and that they would kind of enact this this idea that they have in their head by painting the track these different colors. Okay, so that's, you know, that's the setup, and that's me. I'm a young researcher. I'm trying to kind of make sense of, of how this young kid uh, that, I'm, that I'm studying at this particular moment is thinking about acceleration and velocity. And he's painting the track, and he's been playing for a while now, so he's kind of got, got the idea of how the game works, and he's getting better at it. But at one point I noticed, though, he's just like painting, he's, he's very intentionally painting different stripes on the on the track and, and it's like a you know like a uh you know blue red yellow blue red yellow blue red yellow like that kind of a thing right and then and then he kind of add maybe some like zigzag to it so it kind of like little lightning bolts like lightning bolt stripes across the track and and I'm and I'm observing and I'm and I'm you know asking them questions and do some think aloud kind of protocols and I and I ask the kid I'm like hey so uh, what do you what do you think is going to happen here like how do you think uh the car's you know going to go on the track and he's like I don't know I don't know. I don't know. I don't think it's probably going to work, but like, what's the point of racing if the track doesn't look awesome? (laughs) And I loved that because he was so exactly right. You know, like I built this generative space that, that could look pretty and and stuff, but, but I was like so in tune to like his, his understanding of acceleration and velocity and how are they related and, and the mental models. And, And he was just like, I'm just trying to make something look really cool because that, that matters right now. That sounds fun to me. And, you know, that ended up becoming an important part of how I thought about what could happen in these spaces is that, you know, you know, when I, when I engage in design work now, I think a lot about not only how do the mechanics that we design, the interfaces, the, the the opportunities for interaction with the tool and with people and the and the and the and the learner, how do those things contribute to how we think? But also how do they how do they become spaces for people to engage in expression and and to make things that they care about and that they're passionate about. And sometimes the thing that they're gonna make and the thing that they're gonna be passionate about is not at all what I'm interested in studying or what I think I'm interested in studying, but it's part of how they make sense of the space and it's part of their experimentation, it's part of their reasoning, and it matters. And it's it's just as much a part of their thinking process as when they say the exact right words that I'm like listening for, right? And so, you know, for me, that was an early moment in my, in my research where I realized that I really needed to widen my view of what was happening in these spaces because um, play is happening in all sorts of different ways and it's intimately part of, of their thinking and their learning. I really appreciate the ways that both of you have talked about but also shared lots of examples of how play has kind of infused your ways of being, not just ways of seeing. Hi, listeners. This is Haney. Each week on Pop and Play, we're going to try to play something with our guests. This time, Lolita and Nathan learned I have never played 20 Questions, so we decided we should give it a try. 20 Questions is the kind of game people play on a long car ride, where one person thinks of a word, and then everyone else takes turns asking only yes or no questions and tries to guess the word in 20 questions or less. We're just going to play a couple of short clips. However, if you really want to hear the whole game, go to tc.edu slash popandplay. And while you're there, you can see some of the work on play that Nathan and I discussed in this episode. So Nathan and Haney, I am thinking of something. Is it, is it a person, place, or a thing? Question one. Now, this is one of these rules where in Nathan's version, 
I'm supposed to give him the the I'm supposed to say it's a person or place or a thing, but I'm gonna go with Lolita's rules. And oh, it's no. just yes or no, Nathan. I'm setting okay. the rules of this game. Is it All a right. person? No. Is it a place? No. That means it's a thing, Amy. <laughs> Too. It might be, but she might be playing a game with us. It might be something else. Uh, um. Is it a toy? Hmm. Yes. Seven. Hmm. A lot of shrugs with that. It, it makes yeah. me think it's still that an edge yes, case. Yeah, that yes went upwards a little bit. <laughs> yeah, this is an edge case. We, we can debrief and deconstruct yeah. at the end of the question. That sounds like that sounds like toy and quotes. Yeah, exactly. Oh, All me. right, enough of the semiotic readings of my responses. <laughs> Killing me. So, Haney, that was your first time playing Twenty Questions. Will you be playing that every day now? No. <laughs> Not again, Keith. No. I think I could have watched a, I could have watched an episode of something at another time. <laughs> that, was, that was a long game. So now we're going to go to a segment that is also going to be something we do every week on Pop and Play. And that is a segment that I will let Haney introduce. I mean, I don't know if there's that much to introduce, but we decided to call this Pop and Play because we also wanted to include pop culture. And so our last question to all of us is what's poppin', meaning what has excited you or interested you lately in pop culture that you want to talk about or tell tell the kind folks out there about? So Nathan... Uh Ah, what's poppin'? Uh, you know, um, uh, well, I recently played uh, The Last of Us 2. It's not really poppin' because it came out, like, many months ago. Right. <laughs> but, but I thoroughly enjoyed it. It was horrifying and terrifying, and, and it was heart-wrenching, and I um, could could only play it with the lights on because I got would get very scared, and I couldn't play it when my kids were around because it was too scary for them, and, and it was emotionally exhausting. But it was such a, 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 a interesting and, and enjoyable experience. What was it called? Cool. The Last of Us Two. Lolita, what's what's on your radar? You know, I am not going to complicate what's this. What's popping? I'm not going to poppin'? Yeah. For me, it's been a long time kind of thing. Um, as Haney probably has knows, because I've been talking to her about this, I have been slowly making my way through all twelve seasons of Murder She Wrote. <laughs> and let me tell you something. That Angela Lansbury is just, she's just phenomenal. And she's I recently, a treasure. What's that? She's a treasure. She's a treasure. And I recently saw an interview with her, and she was delightful in her 90s. That show holds up. Now, people will argue with me. It's fine. But as I've been telling anybody who will listen, they predicted the financial crisis. The show is very prescient. I especially love um, Jessica Fletcher's wardrobe and selection mm. of pantsuits and leather briefcases. And there is a season where she teaches in New York City. And so it's been really fun to imagine while I'm slogging through reviews that I have to write or chapters I owe people that I, too, am writing murder mysteries <laughs> on my 
<laughs> word processing device. Um, so I'm, I'm going to just stick with that one. I'm not going to try to overcomplicate it. I love it. I'm in the end of season nine. I'm taking my time. I'm savoring it. Murder, She Wrote is what's popping for me. I just want to say that I am so thankful that the choice that Lalitha has 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 brought to us about the thing that's popping for her is so much older than the things that I mentioned. That I still look at least kind of um, hip vintage, compared to her. Nathan, vintage. <laughs> oh, that's right. So old, it's cool again. Ah. You're like the kids who are just now discovering Friends, you know. It's like, oh, Friends oh, is cool. Yeah. Have you heard of it? I'm like, oh, yeah, I've heard of it. Jesus, come on. <laughs> Lord. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Good times. Haney, what's oh. popping for you? Okay, so I am inspired by your vintage train. So I'll go down that road because I feel like there's a whole bunch of them that I could choose right now. But I decided I'll choose the vintage one. So I have started to rewatch Golden Girls. <laughs> Knew it. And I knew it. <laughs> you knew I was going to say. I knew it. When I was thinking of, when I was going to make the Friends joke, I thought I could make the Golden Girls joke. <laughs> I made the Friends joke and said, come on, Amy. Okay, but I it's also a, feel like it's the good. reason why I started doing that is I do feel like there's been a resurgence of Golden Girls memes in the pop yeah. culture landscape, right? Sure. So I'm like, I'm going to rewatch that starting with season one to Brilliant. see if it holds up. And it holds up. It is so funny. Did you I'm go like to the Golden Girls right Cafe when it was here? No, but you told me about oh, it. Oh my god, it was so good. I I wish I did. Please so tell the me. other thing that I've been doing is I did go <laughs> to the um the webinar where they did a table read that Lena Waithe hosted where she where they reimagined Golden Girls as black women. No. And that's so like awesome. Regina King plays a part. Like it's just everybody that they chose, like for the, you know, Rose Blanche, Dorothy, yeah. Sophia, like it was just like a Really great casting. The only person that I feel like they should have put on there was Jasmine Guy. I think she would make a very <gasps> good plan. Yes. Oh, I'm with you. That would be great. So, you heard it here first, folks. The next table read, it should be Jasmine Guy playing the role of Blanche. Good, good anyway. popping. Yeah, that was fun. This, yeah. This has been What's Popping. I know. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, that this has been great. Um, we will have lots more to come on this season of Pop and Play. Thank you all for being here. Thank you for listening. Nathan Haney, I'm excited to see where you take this. We will see you all next time. Can't wait. See ya. Bye. Thanks for listening to Pop and Play. And thanks to Lalitha for hosting our first episode. Pop and Play is produced by Haney Yoon, Lalitha Vasudevan, Joe Rena Ferry, and myself, Nathan Holbert at Teachers College, Columbia University with the Digital Futures Institute. This episode was edited by Joe Rena Ferry. For a transcript and to learn more, visit tc.edu slash popandplay. Our music is selections from Leaf Eaters by Pottington Bear, used here under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial license. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>